Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. Psalm chapter 8, verse 1. Last week, uh, I watched the last quarter and the overtime of the Super Bowl. And uh, I'm always amazed by the hype that there is for the Super Bowl. Uh, But one thing I've noticed that's also surprising is how quickly we forget who played in the Super Bowl, right? Uh, It doesn't take me too long to forget who played in the last one. I'm, I keep hoping the Cowboys will get there. I'd probably remember that, but, uh, but they, don't, they don't get there. But anyway, um, how quickly the fame of human beings passes. Uh, if you have great skill in mathematics or um, perhaps you're great in philosophy or something like that, listen, people forget us quickly, right? Uh, and, and even if you're in a certain discipline, uh, maybe you're a math person, and you may know some names from history of great mathematicians, but it's a few standouts, right? How quickly people are forgotten. How great uh, gifts they may have from God, they are forgotten quickly. But I'm going to tell you something. Our God is not forgotten. And the greatness that He has is so far above the greatness of any human being that has ever lived, it's not even worthy of comparison. Uh, And one of the things that we need to learn to do as God's people is to praise Him for the greatness uh, of who He is. Uh, And and one of the scriptures that is is an example of doing this is found right here in this chapter uh, in Psalms. And we're just going to read one verse of this chapter here tonight, and we're going to talk about some of the different aspects of God's greatness that are mentioned here that we can praise God for. Um, And there's there's so many things you could praise God for, um, but we're just going to talk about different aspects of His greatness, uh, and even this service tonight would be really inadequate to, uh, to do that. But we are going to talk about some of the things that are mentioned here. Uh, So we need to praise, uh, the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people, right? As we praise God, we draw near to him and he draws near to us. Draw near to me and I will draw near to you, the scripture says. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a great promise. Uh, One way to delight ourselves in God is to praise God the great things about our God. And so, uh, the title of my message is Praising God's Greatness. Praising God's Greatness. And let's read this verse, just verse 1 of Psalm chapter 8. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty. So, Praising God's greatness. What things should we praise Him for? Well, first of all, praise Him for His great sufficiency. Praise Him for His great sufficiency. Uh, That first word of Psalm chapter 8 is LORD, all caps. Whenever you see all caps, whether it's the word LORD, whether it's the word GOD, the all caps means that it's the name 
for, for Yahweh or Jehovah, depending on how you pronounce uh, the Hebrew word. Uh, this is the name that God told Moses to tell the children of Israel. He said, he said well, what, what should I say to them? If they said, well, who has sent, sent me to you? And um, Tell them, I am that I am. I am has sent me to you. And the word Yahweh uh, means he is. Uh, and, and you think about what, what was God saying to them? Well, first of all, I am who I am. I, I, I will be what I will be. In other words, he's God. He, he is, is who he is in all of his greatness. And nobody sets the agenda for him. Uh, he is great and he is able. But I think he's also uh, pointing them to the fact that whatever need that they could have, he is the answer to it. He is sufficient. I am who I am. In other words, I am your need. Uh, what, did they have some needs? Absolutely. They were slaves. Slaves in Egypt, God had made a promise to bring them to the land of Israel. What resources do they have? Not many. They were slaves. But God says, I'm going, if you will listen to me and follow me, you're going to spoil the Egyptians. You're going to have the wealth of Egypt sent out with you when you go to the land of promise. Uh, they also had a stubborn Pharaoh who said, I don't know your God, Moses. I'm not letting your people go. Moses said, well, we'll see about that. <laughs> and, and plague after plague after plague until finally the plague of the firstborn. It, actually, each of those plagues uh, was a demonstration of God's sovereignty over the supposed gods of, Israel, of, of Egypt. And uh, God, in his sufficiency, even overcame the hard heart of Pharaoh. Pharaoh sends them out. The people says, hey, if we don't send them out now, we're all going to be dead. <laughs> we need to get them out of here. Uh, and so they, they uh, give them whatever they can give them and try to get them out as fast as they can get them out. And uh, they travel in the, in the wilderness, and God leads them to a place by the Red Sea. And the Egyptian army, Pharaoh, so hard-hearted, he says, hey, what are we doing? We're sending them away. This is our, our, our slave labor. We're sending them away. What are we doing? Uh, let's go after them. And so they go after them. And, and on, on the one side, there is the Red Sea. On the other side, there's the Egyptian army. But God protects his people and keeps the Egyptians with the pillar of fire, keeps them away uh, during the night. And throughout that night, sends a great wind and literally splits the Red Sea, dries out the ground for them to walk, which is a miracle in and of itself. Um, you've seen how long it's taken to dry out from the rain we've gotten lately. Uh, listen, can you imagine what it would take to dry an ocean floor? But that's exactly what's happening. And they walk across on dry ground. God says, I'm sufficient for your need. I am. Well, what about when they get through the Red Sea? They're in the wilderness. There's no food to eat. There's no water to drink. Uh, and they come to Moses, and, and often in the wrong attitude, grumbling against Moses, grumbling against God, um, sometimes saying, let's go back to Egypt. And, and, uh, but God, in his grace and mercy, supri supplies them with bread from heaven and water from a rock. He sustains them in the wilderness he brings them to the other side, and he's the sufficient one who ultimately helps them go into the land and win the battles they need to fight. Uh, 
So praise him for his great sufficiency. He is the I am. He's the I am for your need. He's the I am for my need. And how often, as we call upon him in prayer, has he answered and supplied just what we need at just the right moment? What a great God we serve. He is sufficient. Praise him for his great sufficiency. So praising God's greatness. What, what things should we praise him for? Praise him for his great sufficiency. Praise him for his great authority. His great authority. If you look in verse 1 again, there's the word Lord again. But this time it's not in all capital. Uh, that's the Hebrew word Adonai. Uh, which means one who is in charge, who is in authority. And boy, is he in authority. All of the constellations of heaven obey the voice of our great God. He is the one who stretches out the universe by his power. Isaiah talks about that. Uh, He is the one who knows all the stars by name. He is the one who helps the planets stay in orbit. Isn't it amazing what God does? The Bible uh, talks about uh, the earth hanging on nothing before scientists even figured that out. God knew it. God has placed us in just the right place to be in orbit around our sun. If we were a little closer, we'd burn up. If we were a little farther, we'd freeze to death. God put us in exactly the right place. He has authority over all of the universe and His greatness and His power. He has authority over the winds and the waves. We see that in Jesus, with Jesus, don't we? He speaks, and, and uh, in the middle of a storm, instantaneously, you talk about flipping the light switch to turn the light on or turn the light off. That's what Jesus does. He says, peace, be still, and the light turns off. I mean, <laughs> the storm ceases. The waves stop. The wind stops because he speaks a word. That's authority. Authority over. He, he, he has a, the authority to tell the oceans how far they can go. Well, you say, well, I thought that the moon and its magnetic field uh, control the tides of, of the earth. Well, of course they do. Uh, but who put that moon in place? Our God did, right? And he is sovereign over that. And by the way, if he chooses to change something in spite of what the moon is doing, he can do it. Uh, he, he is the one. Sometimes we talk about natural law. Did you know... Who set those laws up? God, right? Who can break those laws if he so chooses? God. Um, He just chooses to act in a little different way than he normally acts. And so he has great authority. What about the demoniac? Uh, Jesus comes to the demoniac. Here you have an entire legion of demons inhabiting this man. He's crazy. He's going around the tombs and uh, with no clothes and cutting himself and uh, they've tried to arrest him because they think he's a minister to society, but he breaks the chains and no, nobody can subdue him. Everybody's afraid of him. Um, and, and Jesus encounters this man, and these demons cry out in terror before him and fall at his feet. Please don't send us to the abyss. Please don't send us to the abyss. And Jesus sends them into a bunch of pigs, and you know the story. Uh, that's authority with one word. Jesus sends the demons into the pigs. This is the authority he has. All the demons of hell must bow before his authority. Jesus has 
authority over your life and over my life. He chooses to give us free will, but he has ultimate sovereign authority. The, the authority to send someone to an eternity. By the way, did you know the Lord Jesus Christ will be a judge when, he, uh, when he, things are, are wrapped up? Um, he will be a judge. Depart from me, I never knew you, for those who are lost. Uh, he'll send them to an eternity in hell. He has the authority to do so. He also has the authority to forgive sins. Aren't you glad? Uh, the Pharisees thought he would. Well, who is this that says he could forgive sins? Uh, only God can for, forgive sins. Well, guess what? Jesus is God. He has divine authority to forgive sins. And he made the way through the cross. And so... Every aspect. What did Jesus say when he was going to send his disciples out with a great commission to win souls and make disciples? He says, all authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. Did you know ultimate authority doesn't uh, reside in Washington, D.C. or any of the other power centers of the world? Ultimate authority is found in heaven where Jesus rules at the right hand of God. And he calls us to go out with that authority. He even delegates some of that authority to us. He tells his disciples, uh, well, you can cast out demons in my name. Uh, and they, they did that. They'd go and they'd cast out demons in Jesus' name. They delegated authority of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I can't do anything to a demon in my strength or in my authority. But in the name of Jesus Christ, I can address, and they must obey. Uh, I can pray, and I, I can invoke the authority of my Savior. I can submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. So, we worship God for his great authority. He has authority over every day that I live. He has authority over every step that I take. He can speak. And Satan cannot move any further. Uh, he can speak, and my circumstance changes in answer to prayer. Uh, this is the authority he has. All authority. How great he is. So we can praise him for his great authority. So his great sufficiency, he is the great I am. His great authority, he is Adonai, the Lord. His great majesty. My translation says how magnificent is your name. How majestic is your name. You know that song, O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, comes right from this verse of Scripture. <clears throat> His great majesty. What is majesty? Well, majesty is the, um, the impressiveness of God in, in who He is, in His power, in, in, in you know, you, you use this word in connection with like King kingly majesty. Uh, you come into Solomon's court and he has this uh, throne of ivory and all of these things that, all of these beautiful things. And, and there's this sense of, of Solomon being high and lifted up. Uh, he is, he's, there's this majesty that comes as you come into the throne room. There's an impressiveness about it. Have you ever been in a building that's just impressive? And, or perhaps been, seen a, a procession that is impressive. Uh, perhaps a, a body of military soldiers. I remember when I was um, 
in the Air Force, we were doing basic training, and uh, we had some foreign dignitaries that were on the base, and, and uh, our NCO said, uh, let's show them how we march in the U.S., pound those heels, and we, boy, we were, bam, bam, bam. I was like, yeah, you know, that's just USA. Uh, so, uh, uh, but uh, this is this is the impress the impressiveness of our God in His splendor and His majesty. He's high and lifted up above the angels, above all of heaven. They bow at His feet in fear and trembling. This is the majesty of our God. No one can stand before him. No man can look on him and live. He is high and lifted up and glorious and mighty and powerful. John said in his, he's seeing a vision. He's not even seeing the real thing. He's seeing a vision of what is a reality in heaven. And he says, I can't even take it. I, he said, I, I was so weak I could not even get up off the ground. This is the majesty of our God. Worship His great, awesome majesty. How majestic is your name in all the earth. There's nothing. I used to drive through the mountains, and uh, we'd go over to North Carolina to visit family over there. And uh, I always remember feeling small. I'd drive through the mountains, and you just see these big mountains around. And I understand our mountains are smaller than other mountains in the world, but... They're big mountains to me. They look big to me. And I felt small and insignificant. And uh, I, I can remember thinking, wow, my God made these mountains. And uh, it just was impressive to me. How much more impressive is the God who made those mountains than the mountains themselves? How majestic is your name in all the earth? So, praising God's greatness... Uh, Lord, I praise you because you're sufficient uh, in all things for my life. I praise you because you have authority over everything. I can trust you in the midst of my circumstance. I praise you, God, because of your great, awesome majesty. So we praise him for these things. We also praise him for his great presence. How magnificent is your name throughout the earth. My translation says, in all the earth. This is God's omnipresence. There is no place that God is not. His great presence means that there's no place I can go. If I go uh, to Klingman's Dome, God will find me up there. If I go deep sea diving in some far off place, God will be right there with me doing that deep sea diving. There's no place in the world that I can go. There's no place in the universe that I can go that my God, the Scripture says, do not I fill the heavens and the earth. His great presence. We worship Him because He is with us. He says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Thank you, God, that you're with me. There have been times that I have felt alone uh, times in my early adulthood where I was alone, but my God was with me. Uh, times where I may have had people around that I knew, but I felt alone in dealing with the trial or dealing with the hardship, but God's with me. 
There's never a circumstance I will face. It says, you know what he says in Psalm 139, he sees when we sit, when we rise. He sees our thoughts from afar. He knows every word that we're going to speak before we say it. Um, he is intimately acquainted with all our ways. And he will never leave us. You know, I, I've had these discussions uh, with the Lord about my dad recently. Uh, he's made several trips to the hospital, and I, the conversation has gone something like this. Lord, I'd like to keep him around, uh, but I also know he's had pain, and I don't want him to suffer. And I, I really don't know what's best. God, I don't know how to pray, but I leave this in your hands. And, you know, ultimately, if we live long enough, uh, as one, one uh, of my deacons in my first church said, I'm at the time of life where God has stopped adding things to my life and he started taking things away. And, and, you know, everything is in a state of flux in this world, isn't it? Everything's changing. But one thing remains the same. Our God does not change. And he does not leave us in, in the midst of life when everything else may be chaotic around us. We have a solid rock that we can cling to, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is with us. How great it is. And not only is he with us, but he is able to supply what we need at all times. Isn't that wonderful? He's the good shepherd. He's the one that walks with us through the trials of life. <clears throat> Praise him for the fact that he's with you. Praise him for the fact that there's no place in this world that he is not. So, um, Praising God's goodness. What things to praise Him for? Praise Him for His great sufficiency, His great authority, His great majesty, His great presence, His great glory. Now, um, if you read that last line of verse, uh, verse 1, it says, You have covered the heavens with your majesty. Uh, that word majesty, is, it's a different word than the word uh, that I think of as majesty uh, here in the first part where he says how magnificent is your name. That can be translated how majestic is your name. This is a different Hebrew word. <clears throat> can mean majesty, but it also has some other meanings as well. One of which is glory. And you, could, you can translate that this, you have set your glory above the heavens. The glory of God. The glory of God has to do with the um, radiance of the presence of God. Um, I love what Hebrews says about Jesus. He is the radiance of the Father's glory. <laughs> He's the very glory of God. Uh, so, uh, the glory of God, uh, this is what Moses experienced when he was on Mount Sinai, right? He says, Lord, I'd like to see your face. God said, I, you can't see my face and live. You'll die. Uh, but I will cover you with my hand. I'll pass by you. I'll let you see the backside of my glory. Um, but you can't see my face and live. And so he does that. And Moses' face is shining because he's seen just a little bit of the glory of God. We're told in the book of Revelation that uh, in that eternal place, that new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, uh, that we will one day live in as God's people, that God, there's no sun in this eternal place. 
there's uh, th- no sun to light the earth. There's not a sun that's needed because the Lord God in his glory will light the whole world. Now, I think there's going to have to be a, it's going to have to be a bigger world than this one because all the saints of all history um, will have to fit in this place. So it's going to be a great, a great place. But God's glory and the glory of the Lamb will light the whole world, and there'll never be night. This is the glory of God. It's a resplendent glory. It's a brilliant glory. It's a shining glory. Um, It's a glory that is so impressive that every saint of the Old Testament who saw it in a vision fell on their face. They could not stand before the glory of our great God. He's glorious. Now, Scripture tells us a little bit about it, but one day the Scripture says we're going to see him as he is in all of his glory. What a day that's going to be. Um, But we can, in the meantime, praise him for his glory. Thank you, Lord, that you are brighter than the sun that shines, that no man can stand before your glory, that the angels bow in fear before your glory. Uh, This is what we can praise him for. So praise him for his great glory. Also praise him for his great honor. That same word can mean the honor that's shown. Uh, I think when I when I think of this uh, of this aspect of this word, um, it makes me think of those great seraphim and, and, and cherubim that are around the throne of God in heaven. Now these mighty beasts—I uh, call them beasts. I don't know, angelic beings—are um, so powerful that when they speak, the ground shakes. How's that for power? Can you imagine how intimidating that would be to stand before one of these beings and to hear them speak and to feel the ground shaking underneath? I I think that might uh, wake you up, right? Might make you realize, wow, this is is some powerful stuff here. These mighty angels honor God by covering their eyes in His presence. They bow their heads and they cover their eyes with their wings. They cover their feet with their wings. And they cry, holy. What does that mean? Set apart. In other words, you think we're powerful? There's a whole other level of power and it's not us. It's God Almighty who reigns in majestic power. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. These mighty angels recognize the greatness of God and they honor Him. And we too should honor Him. One day the Bible says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Uh, And this honor is given to our great God. Um, so we praise Him for this honor, and we him give honor ourselves to our Lord. We treat Him with respect. We treat Him with the, with the weight that He deserves in our lives. We set aside time for Him. We follow Him. All of these things are, are steps that we take to show our God honor. Um, and and we, we praise Him for this honor. So 
uh, we, uh, what things should we praise him for? Praise him for his great sufficiency. Praise him for his great authority. Praise him for his great majesty. Praise him for his great presence. Praise him for his great glory. Praise him for his great honor. Praise him for his great beauty. Another translation of that word uh, in that last line is beauty. You've covered the heavens with your beauty. Um, Scripture stops short of giving us an in-detail description of God probably because of the tendency of human beings to make idols. But we are told a number of things. Uh, We're we're told how beautiful heaven is. Um, Ezekiel, in his vision, saw that God had a throne of sapphire. That must be awesome to see. Beautiful, just, just green... I think of a green sapphire throne, and uh, just just gorgeous. Uh, there's a sea of glass before his throne. Uh, there's a rainbow that comes above his throne. And you see all these pictures, the colors, the gemstones that are talked about uh, in the book of Revelation. Um, all of these things uh, are, are things that, show the beauty. And one person one time said that uh, the reason there's so many gemstones in the New Jerusalem is because they're all made to reflect the glory of God. You see, the beauty of our great God is such that uh, everything is fashioned to capture something of that beauty. You think you see something beautiful when you go to a, to a place where you see art or Uh, Or even if you go out in nature and you see the things that God has created and those things, we should praise God for those things as well. Um, But nothing will compare with the beauty that that our God has when we see Him. And uh, some of that's a mystery, but one day we're going to get to see it in person. Uh, He said, you have set your beauty above the heavens. If it's above the heavens... That means it's greater than the New Jerusalem. It's greater than the angels of heaven. It's greater than all those gemstones that are made. So, so his, his great beauty. Now, God's not only beautiful in his appearance, he's beautiful in his character. His character is above all of heaven and his holiness and his... What a great God we serve. You know, if... if Human beings, you've heard that statement, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Uh, Can you imagine uh, a human being with all that power, how that might go? Uh, Probably not well. But our God is not only powerful, he's perfectly good. And one of the things I've noticed over and over in my life, often, well, I'm never worthy of it. Sometimes I'm especially not worthy of it. And God is so good. Why does he answer our prayers? Why does he give us the food that we need to eat and the clothes that we have to wear and the places we have to live and the possessions that we enjoy? Uh, Why does he give us beautiful sunsets to look at and majestic mountains to see? Why does God do these things for us? It's for one reason. He's good. I heard uh, 
one scientist one time talking, he's a Christian, um, and he was talking about the fact that where we are uh, on the earth is, is a perfect place, and where we are in our galaxy is a perfect place to observe the universe. If we were in a different place, we wouldn't be able to see all that God had made. But God put us in exactly the right place to observe all the beauty and all the grandeur of everything he's made. Um, so, God is so good. He's beautiful in his character. Uh, greater than the greatest man that has ever lived, the greatest woman who's ever lived. Um, he is perfectly good. Jesus Christ is an example in how he interacted with people um, and how he dealt with those who were poor. You remember, he, he observes the widow putting, putting her less than a penny into the treasury, and he says, that, that lady just gave more than all these rich people. See, he cared about the, the poor. He cared about the widows and the orphans. He cared about those who were sinners who needed redemption. How good our Savior is. Uh, he cared, what does the Scripture say? His mercies are new once a year. His mercies are new every morning. Every morning. He's good. He's good. Oh. Praise Him for His goodness. Time is not sufficient to talk about all of the wonderful characteristics of our great God. But as you praise Him, and this is one critical element of prayer, um, I, I don't know, you might call this my favorite area of prayer. You put praise and thanksgiving together. That's my favorite part of prayer because there's something about it. It just draws you into the presence of God. I just love it. Uh, and uh, I, I love having those times of being able to worship God. So if you need some material, you can say, Lord, I, I praise you because you're sufficient. You're sufficient for the issues that I'm facing in my family. You're sufficient... Uh, for the issues I'm facing at my workplace. You're sufficient for our church. You're sufficient for my past. You're, you're sufficient. I praise you, God, because you have great authority. You ultimately are sovereign over the world, over creation, over my life, over my future. I praise you, God, for your great majesty, that you're high and lifted up, you're mighty, and you're powerful. And you're impressive, as no one else is. And I can trust you because you're able. I praise you, Lord, because you are with me. I praise you, God, because your glory is above every other glory known to man. I praise you, God, because you're worthy of my honor. I praise you because you're beautiful in who you are, in your character, and how you appear in your glory. How great is our God. Praise Him for His greatness. If you're a child of God, let this be a regular practice of your life. And as you learn to praise, one of the things I've found is if you praise God, you'll be ushered into His presence so that the rest of prayer comes easier. I found sometimes I've been struggling. Okay, God, I've got these requests to offer. I've, you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of struggling. And then I'll just back away from that and I'll spend some time in worship and I'll praise God. And then I come back and now I'm filled with the Spirit of God and intercession comes easy and the rest of my prayer time comes easy because God is doing that through me.
Such a great blessing. Make sure you praise God. It will bless you. And it will, it's by, by the way, it's also a weapon, a spiritual weapon. Are you struggling spiritually? Has the enemy been after you lately? Stick it in his eye and praise God. This is a spiritual weapon. Jehoshaphat put the singers in front. I'd not do that. Uh, I used to be a music major. The, the musicians are the last people I'd put in the front of a battle. But that's exactly what God did. Why? Because he, God understood there's a spiritual battle that happens with worship that brings a victory. So, um, praise God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we, we ask you to teach us to pray as your disciples did. And I just pray, God, that teach us how to worship you. And Lord, we've talked about just one aspect of how we could worship you tonight. But I pray, God, that we would be faithful uh, to practice this praise in our lives. And uh, God... Um, we look at the cross, and at the cross we see the evidence of your love for us. We see your grace. We see your justice. And, uh, but God, we also see your forgiveness. And so, uh, God, we, we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for what you've done so that we could have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And uh, I pray for anyone who's here tonight who may not have repented of their sin and put their trust in in Jesus for eternal life, I pray that they would uh, call upon your name right now. Say, Lord, forgive my sin. I choose to turn from my sin to follow you. I receive your grace and what Jesus has done for me at the cross, and I trust you to give me the gift of eternal life as you promised. Lord, help them uh, to call upon your name right now. And Lord, for, uh, for us as your people, Lord, help us not to forget to praise you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.